Last week, I had made an announcement that I would be taking two weeks off. However, in God's providence, uh, Brother James had to attend some uh, matters in his home, which prevented him uh, from preparing. And I actually, he was still going to do it, but I asked him to please take care of his, uh, of his thing at home in order for, uh, for us to be uh, better uh, equipped as each individual family, as well as uh, spread the burden. That's why we have um, multiple folks that serve. So that's the reason why I'm up here today in God's providence. He's not surprised by it. That's the way it's, it's, uh, it's playing out in his plan. Okay, so with that, uh, before we go into the sermon, one last announcement. This last week, by God's grace, we finally launched the website. So just like how our handle is Acts1689, if you remember that, you remember our website, our website, which is acts1689.org. Okay, so check it out. Uh, this is the first week it's up. Let us know if you have any questions. Perhaps if you see anything uh, that's funny there that needs to be changed or that is incorrect as far as the, um, the nomenclature and whatnot. Okay. All right. So today we are continuing in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Brother James left off in verse 34. So today we're going to pick it up in verse 35 and we're going to finish chapter 8. If you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 8, beginning in verse 35. <coughs> the inerrant word of God reads as follows. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is bringing us comfort this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can get back to what it really matters, and that is to resting in the assurance that you give us. Perhaps after being exhausted, beat down, feeling defeated, with the things in our lives. You are here to remind us that we are not alone, for you are with us. So we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit gives us understanding and conviction of the assurance of the safety that we have in you for those that are your children, that we may learn to rest in that beautiful promise. Draw us to you now, Lord, in repentance from any doubt, that we may enjoy the rest you offer us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today's sermon is titled, Resting in God's Assurance. Resting in God's Assurance. As we think about this topic, let me ask you something. Are you tired? 
physically, but sometimes even we are burdened more by emotional exhaustion, spiritual exhaustion. We're here this morning gathered because we want to be faithful to gather on the Lord's Day. And we thank God for that. But if we are honest, how many of us could have taken a day off today? Maybe some of you are feeling pretty good today. Maybe another day, a past Lord's Day that you can remember. Where you could say, I'm just exhausted. I can't. I can't do it. Well, first, thanks be to God that we did make it. We are here this morning. That's by God's grace. He has given us through his Holy Spirit, through his promises. He's enabled us to be here. Secondly, as we may feel tired and exhausted by the routine of our weekly doings, or perhaps by challenges that we're facing, let us know this. Only God will be able to give us the strength we need, physical, emotional, spiritual, etc., in order to rest and, more importantly, to be at peace with Him from which we will have the rest that our body and our soul and our mind and our heart really needs. With that, I'm reminded of one of my favorite verses in Scripture, 11, Matthew 11, 28, the Lord Jesus speaking. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When the Lord Jesus spoke these words and statements, claims as such, with that authority, the people that heard were amazed at the authority that Jesus claimed when he made such statements. Jesus did not say, go and listen to such and such rabbi. Jesus did not say, well, let me give you a couple of things that are going to make you feel. No, he said, come to me. He said, I will give you rest. Jesus made such statements that they accused him of blasphemy when he said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's the authority with which Christ spoke. With that same assurance, Jesus tells us, come to me. Those who are, in so many words, exhausted. Those who need rest, physical, emotional, spiritual. And I will tell you, my brethren, that many times in my life, this reminder is what has given me the ability to get up and to keep going. The assurance that I can come to Christ with my burdens and He gives me rest in the midst of chaos. We all need this rest. You need this rest. Being at peace with God is what the outcome will be of coming to Jesus for that rest. So the passage before us today, it is my hope and my prayer that it will bring you comfort and rest in Christ. Last time, Brother James preached 
on the preceding verses. And the theme there was, if God is for his children, no one can be against you as a child of God. Yes, affliction and attacks will come. Physical, which are tangible, right? Those are the ones that we are most easily aware of. Like we become sick, we become exhausted, tired, burdened. But we were reminded last week that first and foremost, the attacks to the children of God are spiritual in nature. The attacks to the children of God are mostly spiritual in nature. So we fight, as Ephesians 6 says, not against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities. It is a spiritual battle. So that was last time. Today, as we consider that fact, we as children of God, we will be attacked. If we are Christians, we have a target in our bodies, in our back, in our forehead, in, in our chest, wherever. And where the devil can, he will attack. There's no mercy there. You will be attacked. And yet, we can rest in the promises that God has given us that nothing, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Before we dig into our text, let me give a couple of warnings of what this does not mean. That we will not be separated from the love of Christ. What does this not mean? What it does not mean is that we may have this wrong notion that nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. Therefore, let me go and sin. Let me go and do as I please. Because Christ won't leave me. It's not what it means. In fact, Paul already addressed that question in the earlier chapter. Right? And what did he say? That if you are living in such a way with the attitude of, then let's go on sinning, that grace may abound. Paul says that confirms that you're actually not a Christian. May it never be that that would be the attitude of a child of God. Okay, so that's not what it means. We cannot take this promise and say, I'm going to do as I please because I'm a Christian. I come to church and therefore I could just go and disobey. It does not mean that. Secondly, what it does not mean that we cannot be separated from the love of Christ is that after being engaged in constant sin, in unrepentant disobedience, and then look to ourselves and say, woe is me, I'm being persecuted. No, you're reaping what you have sown. And you're suffering because of your own doing and not because you are being persecuted maliciously. Although that may come out of your sin, right? Now people are after you. But that's not because you're a Christian. That's because you're a sinner and you sin against them. So it does not mean that. Now, what it can mean, and we're going to touch some of this in the passage today, is that we know that the Christian will suffer because that is part of being a Christian. We are told in Philippians chapter 1 that we are granted belief and also to suffer. Through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God, the book of Acts Okay? So that is what that means, okay? What we're going to dig in today. And when we suffer, 
something spiritual happens in the Christian. It means that we are refined, we get closer to God, we depend upon Him during our affliction. That's what it does mean. And in that suffering, in that exhaustion that suffering may bring us, when perhaps we are losing hope, when perhaps we are about to throw the towel, or maybe even throw the towel, say, I forget it, I can't do this. During those times, we are reminded of the assurance of God that He will not leave us, that He will make us persevere, and that the love of Christ will not leave us. Okay, that is what it means. So there was Paul's main point in this passage. The way that we're going to approach this passage was this. If you are a child of God, nothing in life nor death will separate you from the love of Christ. With this, an upfront warning. If you are not a child of God, you are already separated from Christ. So the call for you then would be to <coughs> repent of sin, to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, so that this promise of assurance that we are talking about today will also apply to you because of the gracious Savior that Christ is. So let's get to the text. The first point we're going to see is the assurance of not being separated from the love of Christ. Romans 8.35 reads as follows. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That word there, to separate, that word means to force or to pull apart. Like if you have a two by four and a two by four and you glue it, let it dry. You're trying to separate that. It's going to be messy. Similar concept when the Bible says that a man is to leave his father and mother and join, cleave with his wife. It's the same concept here. You glue it, you clamp it, let it sit for a couple of days. Take that apart. It's going to be messy. Okay? So when it says, what can separate us, it presupposes that something is already joined together. This is speaking about those who are already united with Christ. And again, it excludes all others that are already separated from Christ because of their sin, their unbelief, and their unrepentant hearts. So here it applies to those that are already united with Christ. Scripture uses many times the phrase in Christ to refer to those who belong to him. Let us go to the first verse of this chapter, Romans 8, 1, which is basically the theme of the whole chapter. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, And because of Him, that's God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. 
It's just a couple of examples of what it means to be in Christ. In Christ. Bible, especially the New Testament, over and over. In Christ. Those are God's people that have been united to Christ. In Christ. And Paul asked the question to the local church there in Rome. What can separate us from that love of Christ? Being joined with Him. Separate us. What can separate us from that love? That phrase, love of Christ, what does that mean? The love of Christ. Just to make sure that we have a clear idea of what that means, we're going to reference two verses. Galatians 2.20, it says this. This is also Paul, the writer of that book, says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the love of Christ illustrated. Likewise, Ephesians 5.2. Again, Paul speaking here. And walk in love as Christ loved us, speaking to the church, and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that we can quickly see that the love of Christ is sacrificial in nature. The giving of self for the ones that he loves. Those who are the object of Christ's love have eternal life. Are given the inheritance of the righteousness of Christ and all its benefits. Those who Christ loves are redeemed from the path to perdition. The way I always illustrate this. Imagine a parade, right? And everybody there is just on their way to hell. The love of Christ takes you away. It lifts you. It airlifts you out of there and puts you in the path of righteousness, which is like a single file because it's so narrow. We are given a new nature because of the love of Christ. We are given a new heart and a new character because of the love of Christ. So in a nutshell, that's the love of Christ. And Paul asks, what can separate God's people from that type of love? The love of Christ. Given the context of this passage, Paul asks this question because he knows, for that matter, God knows because Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul. God knows man's nature is weak and doubtful. So that when a Christian, when a follower of God, when a child of God is under pressure, it is very easy to begin to have doubts. Remember the great John the Baptist? I mean, he saw Jesus. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. What happened when he went to jail? Like, could, is it really him? Could it really, be? maybe I was wrong. John the Baptist. Same with Peter. Doubt it, right? When under pressure, my friends, it will be easy for us to doubt. Everything. Is Jesus real? Is my, do I have real faith? Okay, I do. Now I think I'm saved. Now, am I really saved? Doubts, doubts, doubts. 
So the Holy Spirit here, speaking through Paul, knows our nature. And Paul, in his style of how he wrote Romans, a diatribe, right? He's teaching, he's asking questions, and he's answering those questions. He anticipates that this will be an objection. So isn't it true then that we often have that very concern? Like, what if God is not with me this time? Or perhaps when we are being attacked and we fall into sin, like, I'm so unworthy. Like, I'm, I'm not even saved. Like, let's just toss everything away. Or perhaps in the seasons of our life that we're being faithful to serve God, to congregate, to serve God's people, and then you get struck with a trial. And you're thinking, why is this happening? I'm being obedient. I want to honor God. Why am I being hit with this terrible trial? That could be sickness, pain, challenges in our work, in our families, conflict, death of a loved one, etc. To some extent, Acts Reformed Church has experienced all of these. Why am I being hit with this? Why? Is God really with me? And in short, basically the concern is, am I now being separated from the love of Christ? What happened? Well, Paul addresses that very concern in this passage. So now that we saw, can we be separated? We talk about what that means, right? Separated? From the love of Christ, we saw what the love of Christ is. Then Paul asks, like, could these things separate us? Romans 8, 35, the second portion of that verse reads, Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Right? If we are under these types of scenarios, you better believe I will have doubt. You better believe I will probably want a way out of that as soon as possible. I've said before that I believe that within my lifetime, if the Lord allows me to keep preaching, just a matter of time before I will be in trouble by the law. And if that day comes and I'm put in jail, my natural response to that would be, brothers, please pray that I get out of here. Did Paul ever pray that? But again, our human nature, right? Our human nature. Like under stress and distress and oppression, we quickly fold, don't we? And Paul knows this. So what is it that brings us to fold, so to speak, or to have doubt. The first word there, tribulation. The definition of that is an oppressive state of physical, mental, social, or economic adversity. Okay, shall tribulation, should that separate you? And many of us can identify with that, right? Being oppressed physically, mentally, socially, or economic adversity. Shall distress, what is that? Again, the Bible dictionary I'm using, it says that that word means 
in that context, sorrow of an especially oppressive and constricting condition. Sorrow. Sorrow. Anybody felt sorrow here? Yes, right? Shall that separate you? What about persecution? Again, here from the definition of that word, persecution, is that going to separate us from the love of Christ? It says, persecution, the systematic hunting down of adherence to a religious belief in order to inflict pain or death, to destroy or to force the adherent to renounce their beliefs. Wow, this is hitting real close <laughs> to some of us here in the congregation. Persecution. Because perhaps we're not being persecuted in the way that some of our brother and Christian um, loved ones are experiencing abroad. But nevertheless, some of this is present here. What about famine? Should that separate us from the love of Christ? Famine, a severe shortage of food leading to extreme hunger or even death. Shall that separate us from the love of Christ? Nakedness, lacking clothing or covering. No clothes, no shelter. What about danger? Vulnerable to harm or injury. What about sword? Which in that context means death caused by being murdered. Specifically, for your claim of faith. Should those things separate us from the love of Christ? And then Paul interestingly now quotes from Psalm 44, 22, which is a verse that follows Romans 8, 36. It says, as it is written, and then quotes from Psalms, it says, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So let us take a quick account of the psalm that this quote comes from. Like, why does Paul insert a quote from Psalm 44 right into the middle of, of his message about things that could separate us? Or that, are they going to separate us from the love of Christ? He's asking that question. Then he inserts that passage right there. Psalm 44 is a psalm of lament. It is an expression of crying out for help, for deliverance to God, to His people Israel. It describes how in previous times God had been faithful to their forefathers to deliver them, to enable them to win their battles. But at that particular time of the writing of that psalm, it was as if God was absent. And the psalmist is crying out. We see that in verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 44, which read as follows. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can, I, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. This is referencing the time past in which God had delivered and in his lament, the psalmist is saying, that's not happening right now. And we are under distress. We are feeling crushed. God has not shown up to deliver them in this instance. And even while they are examining their ways, like, are we sinning against God? 
And it seems from the writer of the psalm that they are being relatively obedient and true to their God. So why is this happening? Psalm 44, 17 reads this. Again, more context from that psalm that Paul is quoting for. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Right? Why is this happening? I thought I was doing everything right. So in one sense, as human fallen beings, we can never claim that we are perfectly obedient. Jesus is perfectly obedient. And thank God that his obedience is attributed to us. So yes, in that sense, yes. But in and of ourselves, we need a constant advocate because we cannot obey perfectly. In another sense, it seems that we tend to recognize or want to give ourselves credit more during the times of obedience to God than the times that we are disobedient to God. So we minimize our disobedience. Like, ah, I'm doing relatively okay. I have a couple of things I'm working on, but I'm fine, right? And we emphasize our obedience. Man, I'm being so good. Like I'm congregating. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I'm praying at home. And it's just the truth of our human nature. We tend to emphasize the times that we're doing better. But in any case, it seems to be the case here that a child of God can be walking in diligence and obedience to the things of God and still be struck with tribulation. That's just a fact of the Christian life. Okay? And seemingly, we can start to doubt of whether God is actually with us or not. And if the love of Christ that we've been promised can be stripped away from us. Where is God? Why is he not delivering them? My brothers, my sisters, don't you feel like this sometimes? I'm walking in obedience, yet I'm going through this trial. Or even more bluntly, Lord, why have you brought this trial upon me? Why? And in the context of this passage, the doubt that can creep in into the life of the believer is crying out to God and say, why am I being separated from God's grace and favor and love of Christ? Why is that happening? And the, Paul that, the answer that Paul has given us is, no, that's not happening. The trials in your life do not mean that you are being separated from the love of Christ. Rather, it should be reason for God to bring you even closer to Him. Because there is nowhere else that you can go during a trial for comfort and peace other than Jesus. Go somewhere else, you'll be comforted for a little tiny bit. And then after that, you'll be even more miserable. I tell you that by experience. So then what? The response to those doubts. That's point number two. The response to the doubts of being separated from Christ. Romans 8.37 reads, Paul gives the answer, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And Paul assures the church that all those doubts that the tribulations may bring are overcome by us 
but through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Right? The victory is us. He gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So beware, my Christian brother and sister, of somebody telling you, hey, you got what it takes, just positive thinking, be optimistic. Trash. That's heresy from the devil. If you get through a trial, it will be because thanks be to God who gives us, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not be so foolish to think that it was because of us that we were able to be victorious over a trial. Never, never. The victory of the Christian to have peace over those times of doubt and distress and trials is not because we are strong in and of ourselves, but because Christ has given us grace, endurance, perseverance, peace through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Because we, we are weak. And we depend on Christ to give us victory over these things. Remember how in the Old Testament it says that God didn't choose Israel because they were the greatest. It says they chose, He chose Israel because they were the weakest, the most insignificant. Likewise, we are told in the New Testament that Jesus chooses the foolish and the weak in order to show up those who think that are strong. He does that for his glory so that nobody can boast and say, oh, look at me. I'm so good. Like, God picked me. Nope. It's the opposite. So today, my brothers and sisters, you are conquerors over those fears, over those doubts, those feelings of insufficiency. But make no mistake, this is not in the context of the garbage prosperity gospel. No. The only reason you can and are victorious over those things is because of Christ, your Savior, that has given you that victory by His love and grace. It's the only reason why. Now, thirdly, Paul's admonition and exhortation and encouragement is not theoretical. The exhortation Paul gives is not only certain, but is one that is based on his experience. Let us open that up a bit. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure, right? Not maybe, perhaps, if you think positively, no. He says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in our creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The life of the Apostle Paul in service to the church and dedication to Christ was one of fulfillment and joy, yet filled with suffering. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Speaking against false apostles, those who wrongfully boasted, Paul takes them to task 
so that the Corinthian church would be aware how to discern those false apostles. And in that, Paul gives a recap of his trajectory of suffering as an apostle. It's quite a long passage, but it's worth us reading this so that we realize that Paul means what he says because he has experienced those things. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28, and then verses 32 and 33. Paul says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was lit down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Okay. It is very easy to talk theoretically and to give instruction of how you should just hang in there and the Lord is with you. You're going to persevere. Paul had been through every single trial he mentioned. Should, should this, can this separate us from the love of Christ? In the passage we just read, Paul has, is telling us, I've been through all those things. Okay? And Paul says, like, I'm speaking like a madman because he's bringing that in in the context that he's trying to show the Corinthian church to be careful of false apostles. And he says, this is what I've been through. I'll just mention here that this very day, there are people who call themselves apostles in the sense of New Testament, New Testament apostles. I tell you, not only, don't they, not only they don't have the qualifications biblically to be apostles, there is none. But they often live in luxury. Lavish lifestyles. Do you think they ever would expose themselves to this type of suffering? Never. And if they did, maybe they would claim that they're not called after all, so they're going to go and enjoy the comforts and luxuries of life apart from ministry, if you can call it a ministry. False apostles, beware. Close parentheses. Now, all this to say, the things that Paul asks of whether those things can separate us from the love of Christ, Paul says, no, we are more than conquerors in those things through Christ Jesus. And we're being told by Paul that he's been through those trials more than once, and God has been faithful to keep him and to not separate him from the love of Christ. To the point that Paul says, to die would be gain. 
Okay? So Paul is absolutely convinced that none of those things have nor will separate him from the love of Christ. Okay? So then, what are some final reflections here as we looked at the passage today? First, let us be reminded to rest in the assurance that God gives. Romans 8 is a great chapter on the assurance of God's promises to his children. And that promise is not of health and wealth and prosperity. It is actually much greater than that. Because we are given the assurance that the love of Jesus will never leave us. In that, my brothers and sisters, we can rest. In that, we can have peace. Rest in God's assurance. Secondly, let us remember that tribulations should draw us closer to God. There will be peace nowhere else in your affliction, in your suffering, in your tribulations, except to hold on to Christ. And by extension, to the body of Christ, which is the church. That's why we're here. Tribulation should draw us closer to God, not away from God. And I'm going to mention here, if tribulations and trials and persecutions do draw you away from Christ and you never come back, that's because you never belong to Him in the first place. Right? They were not from us because they were not of us. For if they were, they would have remained. And the parable of the sower, which the Lord Jesus explained, also talks about that. That some of the seeds will kind of start growing, but then they're choked and they die. Right? Why? Because of persecutions. Because of the cares of the world. Tribulations for the children of God should draw us closer to God. Let us not be surprised when we are struck with tribulations. And then thirdly, is this exhortation, is this passage in Romans theoretical in your life? Have you encountered the type of hardships that Paul mentions here? If you have, know that you are not alone. Paul experienced these things. The people of God have experienced these things all throughout history. And we are not exempt from it. It is not theoretical. And if some of us have not gone through serious hardships, it's not if, it's when. And that's really scary. I'm like, please, Lord, like... Can we just keep it cool and like? Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will. Talk about claiming the promises of Scripture. There you go. Why don't we hear the prosperity gospel preachers claim that promise? You will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Ah, yes, okay. The Lord is with us, and His love is not separated from us. 
I will close with the last few lines of one of my favorite hymns, In Christ Alone. It's not on the slides, but I'll, I'll put it here. I don't remember if I put it in there, but it goes like this. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. In that, we can rejoice, my brothers and sisters. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your assurance to give your children your faithfulness, to give your children the love of Christ, to give your children comfort during tribulations. Lord, give us the ability to rest in that promise by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you may grant us that faith to trust that nothing will separate us as your children from the love of Christ. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.